0: It's great to see everyone this morning. It's great to be here. It's great to open the Word of God and to worship this morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, hopefully you had a lot of turkey and pumpkin pie. And you're wearing loose-fitting clothing. (laughs) Um, And uh, whatever you did, whatever you did, we're glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here this morning. You know, even though Thanksgiving is supposed to be a time to slow down and a time to reflect, I find that it it isn't always like that. I don't know if you find that in your home either. It's often very busy, lots of last-minute things to do, shopping, cooking, cleaning. Now, I don't do any of those things, (laughs) but everybody else seems really busy. And you know there's not much time it seems like to to reflect and to just actually think about what we what we're thankful for. So I think it's only fitting that that we're here together as a church family <clears throat> to worship and give thanks to God and to spend time in his word. Today we're we're turning a corner we're turning a corner with the sermons as we have Left the book of Acts, and now Thanksgiving is in the rearview mirror, and we turn our focus to the birth of Christ. And while I don't, I'm not one who really likes how early the Christmas rush starts, I think some of my kids were saying they saw Christmas ads or promotions back at like Halloween time. Like, I am really not into that. Um. But I do like being able to set the stage, to set the stage for the birth of Jesus and to prepare our hearts for his arrival. Because when we talk about preparing for Christmas here in the church, it's not about, it's not about gearing up for a season. It's not about preparing for a time of the year. It's about preparing for an event. An event where God himself steps into humanity and he changes the course of history forever. So may the Lord prepare our hearts in the coming weeks to celebrate the birth of his son as we we start this new sermon series, as we do the things that the video showed, and as we participate together in glorifying Jesus and serving the Lord. So let's pray. So we ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, for, um, thank you for this time, an appointed time, Lord. We take it for granted sometimes. It's just something we do regularly, but it's an appointed time to come together, to worship you, to quiet our hearts before you, to fellowship with one another, to love and to encourage one another, and to, to receive from you, Lord, to receive from your word. So I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that it would be your words and your heart that we would see and hear. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to begin getting ready for Christmas by taking a look at John the Baptist. In many ways, John the Baptist is where the Christmas story really begins. And we're going to jump between a number of passages, mostly in the book of Luke, to get a picture of who John was and the role that he played in the birth and the ministry of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading from, verses, from verse 5, and I'll go to uh, verse 15, but I'll... Be skipping some verses here. Luke chapter 1. It says In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Then let me skip down to verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. So Zechariah, we read about Zechariah here. He is a godly Jewish priest, and his wife Elizabeth was godly as well. They were childless, it says. Childless and very old. But after many years of prayer, an angel, we find out that it's the angel Gabriel, appears to Zechariah and tells him the joyous news that he will have a son. That his, their prayers have been answered. They'll have a son, and they're to name him John. So for... From the very beginning, from a purely human standpoint, we see that John's conception is a miracle. John's conception is an act of God. Later in verse 26, skipping down in in chapter 1, we read, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, To a virgin pledged to be married. And here we see the well known story of the angel telling Mary that she is to be the mother of the Messiah. Further down in verse 36, the angel goes on to tell Mary, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. So from the beginning, we see this connection we see this connection between John and Jesus. Their births are foretold by the angel Gabriel. Their mothers are related. And in verse 41, we see that Mary hurries off to visit Elizabeth. And when she greets her, it says, Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb. So even as a little unborn fetus, Swimming around in a pool of amniotic fluid, John jumps for joy. He leaps for joy at the sound of Mary's voice because he knew that she was to be the mother of Jesus. In Luke 1.16, the angel continued about John that when he is older, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And this part is key. It says, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is John's special, it's a special role in life. It's his calling. It is to be that forerunner to Jesus and to prepare people for his coming. It's like like a concert or a show that you might go to. He's the opening act. right? The opening act is to get the, the crowd settled, to get them warmed up. The opening act is to get the people ready for the main event. Now, if we fast forward, let's fast forward about 30 years. And this takes us to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter three, and I'll start reading from verse I'll read verse two through six. It says, "During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah. The prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the road, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. So, John here is preparing the way for the Lord, he's making straight paths for him. We see how he's doing this in verse 3. It says, He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So in many ways, John is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, if you look in your Bibles, closes with the book of Malachi. that's the last book of the Bible. He's the last prophet in the Old Testament that speaks to the people of Israel. And then for a period of 400 years, 400 years, God did not speak to the Jewish people. 400 years of silence until John comes on the scene. And this starts the New Testament. John comes he comes on the scene like an old testament prophet. He comes wearing clothing made of camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. Right? He he speaks from the book of Isaiah and he brings the prophetic message of God's salvation. But here's the thing. John is not bringing an old testament message. He is not speaking of the temple of sacrifices, of the law. Instead, John brings a new covenant message of repentance, baptism, and forgiveness. After 400 years, this is the message God wanted the people to hear in preparation for his son. Further down in Luke 3, verses 10 through 14 it says what should we do then the crowd asked and john answered anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none and anyone who has food should do the same even tax collectors came to be baptized tax collectors came to be baptized and teacher they asked what should we do don't collect any more taxes than you are required to he told them Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So upon hearing John's message of repentance, the people asked, what should we do then? And I wanted to see, I want you to notice that John doesn't tell them all the same thing. He tells the crowd, he tells the tax collectors, he tells the soldiers each something different. In this passage, he's not giving a generic list of things to do to repent and to turn to God. Okay, he's giving them individual, specific advice about how to turn from their sin, the sin that each of them are so prone to commit, the tax collectors overcharging, the soldiers intimidating and extorting. The people not being charitable and giving. See, all of, us, all of us are sinful, but it looks different in each of our lives. In verse 15 of chapter 3, it says, the people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts, if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John, as he preaches, he preaches by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the people begin to wonder, after, again, 400 years, they begin to wonder, is this the Messiah? And John tells them clearly, he is not the one. But he lets them know, the Messiah is coming. Like a good forerunner who heralds what is to come, John redirects the attention from himself to the one who this story is really about. And as Jesus begins his ministry, which we'll read about, John knew, John knows that his time is almost done. His job is toward the end, and it's time for him to get off the stage. Right in John three thirty, it it says, John says he must increase, while I must decrease. And then in Luke three twenty one and twenty two. We read, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is like the the passing of the baton. John baptizing Jesus. And then God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the passing of the baton and the start of Jesus' ministry. So this is really the beginning of the Christmas story where we read about John the Baptist. To prepare the way for the Lord, John preaches a message of repentance for forgiveness. And I believe this message is for us, too. This message in preparation for Jesus' birth is our message. Self-examination, confession, and repentance. These three practices should be a regular part of our relationship with God. Self-examination first. Examining our lives is essential to our growth as Christians. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return to the Lord. Recognizing our sins and our failings. That makes it possible for us to repent, to confess, to receive forgiveness, and to grow in grace. These are steps by which we move forward in our Christian life. If we can't see our own sins and shortcomings, then we can't make progress. If the tax collectors that John was speaking to couldn't see that collecting more than what the people owed was wrong, then they would never repent. Repent. since adam and eve dis- disobeyed god in the garden of eden in genesis chapter 3 we understand we are all broken we are all marred we have inherited a sin nature and it goes around with us wherever we go and so we are prone we are prone to things like selfishness to pride to greed To perversion, to lust, to resentment, hatred, self pity, and the list goes on. And while my struggles may be different than your struggles, right? Some of us struggle with different things. None of us are beyond reproach. And we need to constantly examine our lives and be honest about the depth of our sin. As we do that, as we, as we exercise self-examination, I have one warning, something to be cautious of. Do not let Satan, do not let the enemy pull you down into self-condemnation and despair because the enemy will take that and make it into something that pulls you away from God. This is not what the Lord wants. Recognize your sin and your failures. But realize God's grace extended to you in Christ Jesus. Two things to help you examine your life. One, the Word of God. The Word of God. Scripture. Study God's Word. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Plant it deep within your heart. Because scripture says that it illuminates, it gives light, and it gives life. The second thing, listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you. God's promised the Holy Spirit to be our guide and to be our helper. Listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in you and your conscience to make you aware of the sin in your life. So self-examination. Next is confession. Confession. Scripture is clear that confessing our sins, saying it with our mouths, is an essential part of the forgiveness process. First John nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. On the flip side... Unconfessed sin, unconfessed sin can literally destroy us. In Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, David, a man after God's own heart, David, he describes his experience of depression, distress, and guilt, all due to unconfessed sin. A good example or an analogy I read about unconfessed sin, it's like pulling the drapes closed on fellowship with God. God is still there, maybe on the other side of the window. God is still there, and the sun is still shining, but we have cordoned ourselves off. We have barricaded ourselves into a dark place when we hold on to unconfessed sin. Psalm 32, after David expresses his depression and his guilt and his wasting away, in verse, in verse 5, David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There is great healing and forgiveness in confession to the Lord. But also, there is great healing in confession to one another. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. <clears throat> I thought about that as I read that verse and I prayed during the week and I thought, that's difficult. Well, that That's scary hard. Right? But... What would our church be like? Could this be a place? Could our church be a place where we learn to love and trust each other that much and extend God's grace to one another? Knowing how sinful you and I really are. Could we be that kind of people to one another? Now, I'm not suggesting That you turn to your neighbor and we do this as an exercise and you share your deepest sins, okay, to the neighbor next to you in the pews. But I am saying that it is important that you have friends in your life in the church that you can confess things to so that you may be healed. That's what Scripture says. Anyone who has had experience with Alcoholics Anonymous or support groups like this has probably seen God's healing in a community that confesses with one another. Because that's what these groups, they have learned to do that. They understand the power of it. And God works in this way. Lastly, the last thing is repentance. So self-examination, confession, and repentance Repentance is a conscious determination to avoid and forsake sinful behavior. It's a sincere turning away from one's sin and turning to God. And while true repentance should result in changed behavior, I want to emphasize the real change takes place in the heart. For without a heart change, we have no hope of a transformed life. Because our sin is more than just bad behavior. It's a darkness of heart. <clears throat> I look around, I look around and I see how much potential, how much God-given potential man has. Every day I see, I see things that seem like incredible advancements in technology, in science, in medicine. I see amazing creativity in art in music, in literature, that how God has endowed man in his image to have great potential for amazing things. But the problem is, and it's always been this way, he cannot change his heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So when it comes to repentance and turning from sin, it is not about trying harder to do the right thing. This is something that's taken me a long time to understand in my walk with the Lord, that I cannot will myself to be better or to be more holy So don't get me wrong, we are called to discipline and obedience according to the word of God. But in the same way that I cannot save myself, I cannot sanctify myself either. What we are called to do then is to surrender our hearts to the Lord, to yield to the Holy Spirit in our lives, to relinquish control. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And God promises then to change us from the inside out. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, the sovereign Lord says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, from you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I think one of the best descriptions I've heard of repentance is from a, a guy named Todd Hunter. And uh, he's a ministry professor and writer. And uh, Pastor Corey led us through one of his books a while back. And he says, basically, repentance is getting back into God's story. And I love this description of repentance because it, it brings a much larger context to repentance than just being forgiven and saved. Repentance, then, when we surrender our hearts to the Lord, is an act of cooperation with what God wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in the world around you. Our sin breaks relationship with God and keeps us from being the people of God. Repentance restores us. Paul says in Romans two four that kindness... That God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Back into God's story. Self examination, confession, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. These are the things John the Baptist preached to prepare for the arrival of Jesus. John wanted the people to see that they needed a Savior. They needed someone to save them from their sins. I believe the message of repentance and forgiveness is a Christmas message because it highlights our need for Jesus, our need for a Savior. We needed God to send him to us. And as we prepare for the coming of Jesus this Christmas, let us turn our hearts to the Lord. Better yet, Let's surrender our hearts to him. Some of you know you know this about me, but about five years ago, I had a heart attack. I had a minor heart attack, if you could call a heart attack minor. <laughs> but it was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call, and I realized that I needed to do a better job taking care of my heart, taking care of myself I needed to change my diet, my lifestyle, my exercise, how I deal with stress. And I needed to pay closer attention to the warning signs. After 400 years, John the Baptist here is bringing a wake-up call to the people of Israel. I believe in the same way we need to examine our hearts we need to do the things that strengthen and protect our hearts for the Lord. Self-examination, confession, and repentance I think will help us prepare for the birth of Christ. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment to, to be quiet before the Lord and, and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Thank you, Father, for giving us this time to learn from your word. Thank you for revealing things to us. Help us to examine our lives and to repent of our sin. And uh, please teach us, teach us how to surrender ourselves to you. For you are faithful and you are trustworthy. And you are loving and gracious. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen.